Having a versatile, high-quality piece of clothing feels great, but having a whole closet full of favorites feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bienvenidos, señoras y señores, to another episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast. This episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast is brought to you by Ben Online. With the NFL playoffs right around the corner and the NBA season in full swing, Ben Online has you covered with all the up to the second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. So head there today to get in the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use your promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Ben Online, where the game starts. And joining us on the Candiasada, he is the director of minor league pitching for the Los Angeles Dodgers. His name is Rob Hill. Rob, ¿cómo estás, amigo? Bienvenido to the Candiasada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bien, bien. Things are going good. How are you guys doing? Happy to be here. Fantastic. Uh, Rob, I got to ask you this because I, I, if I got this story wrong, I need you to correct me. All right. But how does a guy in his mid-20s get named the director of minor league pitching for the Dodgers in my mid twenties. I think I was still, uh, no, I actually, I think I got my first real job. I mean, but to be the director, what, what job was it? That's a, that's uh, important working in a bank. Working hey, that's, in a bank. that's a job. I, I would love to be what you, I mean, in your mid twenties, the director, I mean, is that, is that right? It is. It is right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, it's pretty crazy. Uh, I, I honestly, uh, I'm still shocked when I think about it. Uh, I try not to too much, but yeah, here we are. 28 now, I think. Jeez, I'm old. I'm going to my fifth year with the Dodgers, which is crazy to think about. Fifth season. So, Rob, I, I got to because, I mean, at that point, you were still, I, I mean, you were still tr trying to play, right? I mean, what is it? I mean, I, I have to admit, probably it's got to be super frustrating to have injuries and stuff like that. Sure. But at what what does it take for you to make a decision to go, you know what? It's just not going to happen for me this way. I got to pursue other avenues. Yeah, I think um, even even after, you know, I graduated, I'm sure people have heard the story, but it's like I, I ended up throwing way harder after college. Um, I definitely could have pursued some sort of professional career in like independent ball. Um, there's no way I was going to get picked up by an affiliated team. All these guys are way better than I ever was. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of realized like, okay, indie ball is the only route. Um, does that allow me to make like the biggest possible impact that I could make on the game, like continuing to play? Like probably not, you know, like probably not. Um, so I just kind of leaned into coaching from there and, and, and still trained and I still do train because I think it's an important thing for coaches to do. 
Um, but yeah, it was kind of like, it really wasn't as, as difficult of a decision because um, it was just kind of like, yeah, it just made, it made more sense. <laughs> it made way more sense. So I ha- I have to, so is coaching a skill that you like people who are great players? Let's like, look, you can't teach that. They just have it in them. Is coaching something similar to that? Because there's always this adage that utility players or guys who were on the bench, they end up being the best coaches because they seem to understand the fact that, okay, I'm not a superstar. I'm not a scrub. I'm somewhere in the middle. Therefore I can, I'm, I'm more open to coaching. Is that yeah. something that you knew? I mean, did you recognize that you had a skill for coaching and, and that people would respond to you in your coaching um, ability? I think, I think I always kind of had a slight inclination that I was like a pretty decent or like coach or I don't really know what you want to you know, call it uh, inspirer of action, uh, so to speak. Like, I think I, I had a knack for it uh, growing up because my, my dad is like super motivational and like very, very positive. So I think a lot of that rubbed off on me. Um, and I saw like the fruits of his encouragement with like people that he worked with and, and other kids like around me and, and, and stuff growing up. And I was just like, okay, like being very positive and like trying to encourage, but also being like firm when you need to and, and knowing your shit are all very important things. So I think I got maybe a lot of that from my dad. I still have a lot to learn as a coach. Um, you know, I, I talk sometimes talk to guys like Nate Yeski who's in the college space or, you know, Mark Pryor, Rick Honeycutt, these people with way more experience than me. And, and, and just, I realize uh, I don't have many answers, just more questions. And I think that that's an okay place to be. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be there. You know, I have a lot more to learn. So. so since you run the show for the minor league pitching, it is supposed to be a universal message, right? So how often are you working with Mark Pryor? You had mentioned Honeycutt. I mean, is it very important for you guys to be all on the same page and you are all delivering the same message? Uh, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. I would say, like, I mean, I talk to Mark multiple times a year. I talk to Connor McGinnis multiple times a year. Honey is is going around to our affiliates. So I see him all the time. He sends us you know, emails writing up after he goes on his trip. So it's like, there's a ton of interaction. Um, and yeah, I would totally agree that just like uh, having the same message to the guys is the most important thing at the end of the day. And what's cool, I think about the Dodgers and I've heard, you know, different things, different places. Um, no one here really has like, no one cares who delivers that message. You know, it's like, if I got to call someone's trainer back home in Florida, because I know that guy will be able to get through to this player better than I can. Like I'm okay doing that. Like we've done that a million times. So it's like, I'd say like uh, when we're aligned, um, we, we just like don't have a huge ego with it. We just kind of like want to get the guy better and just attack it in that way. You mentioned the ego. Uh, is there a part of you that ever felt like you need to prove yourself to these guys to show, hey, dude, I know what I'm doing. You, the Dodgers hired me for a reason. I mean, Mark Pryor has this reputation of he fixes everybody. Well, they came to you first, right? I mean, they, you get them first before you go to Pryor. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I like fix guys or whatever. I think it's just like a huge, uh, like a huge group. You know what I mean? Like it, it's literally everyone. Like, and I know everyone says stuff like that, but it's it's actually insane how much group contribution and just like it's it's a whole entire team thing. It's it's pretty remarkable, honestly. Uh, you caught our attention with your tweets on Yamamoto, uh, and this was back in 2020. You were tweeting yeah. about Yamamoto and his delivery. Yeah. Now, of course, to me. Whenever I hear someone say, hey, you know, when I warm up with a baseball, it may, it hurts my elbow. It concerns me. But you have a pretty good argument in terms of you think his mechanics 
are pretty solid. So I don't need to worry about Yamamoto getting hurt. Right, Rob? I mean, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say so. I think like the, the training that he does and the things that he does kind of like supports what he's able to do on the mound. Um, the javelin piece uh, in terms of like, he started using that to like re- alleviate elbow pain. I thought was super interesting. I um, mean, it makes a ton of sense, right? Because I think a lot of people have a misconception around like elbow injuries in general. They think that it's like, Hey, if you throw a heavy thing, that's going to hurt your arm more. But like, they don't necessarily understand that like ligaments and tendons and muscles like work differently than one another. Um, and so when it comes to like tearing an elbow, right, it happens at max layback. Okay. It happens usually when the arm is going the fastest in and out of external rotation, right about there. Right. So with a heavier implement, like a weighted ball, uh, or a javelin, you literally cannot move your arm as fast. It's just like not possible. So the ability to actually stress and like hurt the ligament is actually significantly lower. So it actually makes a ton of sense, which is really cool. Like that's, what's so cool about these elite athletes is, is they know all these things intuitively. Like they can feel it, right? Like Yamamoto's like, oh yeah, I throw this. It makes my elbow feel better. It makes me organize my mechanics in a different way to be more efficient. Uh, he just knows that, but there's also like so many more layers to it, which is, which is really cool. So when you hear stories like this, where all of a sudden this guy's throwing a javelin, like how open are you guys to, to new training methods, to new concepts? Um, I mean, I, I would say as open as we can be, I, I've said this before on other podcasts, but it's like, uh, I am actually taking it from my, my old friend, Anthony Brady, who was with me at driveline. And I think he's with the Phillies now, but he said like driveline. And, and in this sense, I'm just talking about like myself, like that we are agnostic to the tool. Like I do not care what I have to use, what I have to do. Like, I don't care if, you know, three years ago I th- I said that thing was stupid. I'm going to say it's cool now if we need to use it to get together. You know, like I, I am, that is, I would say our approach. It's just like reckless, not, not reckless abandoned, but just like, it, it doesn't matter. Like the only rule is it has to work. You know, like I don't, I don't think that um, there's really anything that we are like completely out on trying to do. Like a lot of people in the, in the Twitter space these days love to just, you know, shit on towel drills or like all these kind of old school pitching drills. But it's like, you know, we've had, we've had guys do towel drills before, but they also have other things that they're doing, you know? So it's, it's, it's a give and take with a lot of this stuff. And, and I really don't think anyone has the answer. So continuing to keep an open mind is, is very important. Now, you're not that far removed from it, but one of the things that I thought, and it could be just excuse my ignorance here, but I feel like when I hear the these stories of high school pitchers getting Tommy John and it becomes very, very, uh, it's a more common thing. It's no big deal. Like I hear people like kids going, I hope I get my Tommy John in high school so I can get it out of the way. And like when I was in high school, that was just unheard of that someone would like to me, I associated Tommy John towards the end of your career or the middle of your career. It's like, damn, that's it. Your career's yeah. over. Where does that come from? Uh, is it, yeah. is it just the, the difference in training, Rob? I think some of it is the difference in training. I think uh, the biggest aspect of it is a misunderstanding of, I think it is the combination or like the, I guess uh, the head on collision or so uh, of better training methods. So, which is like getting guys below and like stresses up higher and a lack of understanding of like recovery. Like that's literally what I think it is. Cause it's like all these kids now are probably going to be like very similar to the kid, like uh, how I was in high school, right? Like 2013, I graduated high school. So it's like, I did all the training, like uh, not, not similar to now, but I, you know, I trained and I did things. If I was to do the stuff now, I probably would have thrown harder, but I went to bed at like midnight or later every night. I did not eat nearly enough calories. I wasn't in the weight room enough. I wasn't doing any sort of supplementation to help my recovery. You know, there was just so much left unchecked. Um, and then a lot of these, a lot of the high school guys too, definitely run into the whole, 
uh, like prospect circuit syndrome type thing where it's just like they're going and going and going and going and going. They don't realize like the toll that it's taking over like the long term. Um, and also there's like that subset of guys who just doesn't train. Like they don't train enough. Like there's guys who come from high school uh, or even college who are like, yeah, I throw on Friday for my start. Then I don't pick up a baseball till Wednesday of the next week. And I'm just like, what? Like, <laughs> so it's like throwing is one of those skills that is so demanding on the body. There's so much trauma taking place because of the speed of the rotation of like the segments. Um, so if you aren't consistently grooving those patterns and getting into those grooves and making sure that like those things are working, like you can expose yourself to injury like rather quickly. Now you mentioned recovery and, and following up on this Yamamoto thing, you know, there's this belief that the Dodgers may go to a six man rotation in the Japanese league. They're used to just pitching once a week. Sure. Is that something that you would ever see major league baseball ever adapt? I mean, you, you mentioned it a couple of times already. It's such an unnatural motion. Like, isn't it, more important to keep these guys healthy so we can see them or yeah. like you said it's not the overthrowing that's the problem yeah i mean that's a tough question man that's a tough that's, that's the trillion dollar question right um yeah. i think that i think that there's definitely something to um i mean a lot of it comes from just like we don't understand what actually causes them you know what i mean like there's just conjecture on both sides like that's kind of the biggest issue i would say is it's like some people say you throw too much uh, some people say we throw too little. Some people say we throw the wrong weighted ball. Some people say that. Some people say that. So it's kind of like, and also every guy's injury or whatever is completely different. You know what I mean? Like this guy could have the same injury as this guy, but with like completely different like mechanism, you know? So there's, there's a lot there. I think that um, something that we've definitely noticed, uh, we had like almost no injuries, uh, like, like significant elbow injuries this past year in the minor leagues. I think we had, I literally don't think we had any, maybe one. Uh, we probably threw the most we've ever thrown. And that's, I'd say, like something that we really, really prioritize um, is just like throwing. Like uh, you're not going to get better at throwing by not throwing. You're not going to stress like the the system and you're not going to stress like the ligaments, tendons, structure in the same way by doing anything else other than throwing. So I don't know. I think that there's kind of like a, you need to like build in anti-fragility. That's truly like what I think it is. I think a lot of guys get hurt as they get older because they rest too much and don't train enough. Um, and then if they do train a lot, the types of training they are doing are maybe not like ideal. You know, everyone's looking for, okay, Hey, besides throwing, what can I do to get better at throwing? It's like, not much, probably throwing, you know? <laughs> like, um, yeah. So sorry to kind of ramble on you there, but that's kind of my thoughts, I guess. No, not at all. I mean, do you subscribe to that theory? I think there was a belief that yeah, I think they say more mass equals more gas, but then <laughs> I, I, I see Yamamoto is like doing, and not necessarily yoga or tai chi, but if flexibility, oh yeah, oh yeah, flexibility seems to be very important to him, especially with he doesn't have a traditional windup. He uses that sidestep. Right. Like, what do you? What can you learn from him right. in terms right. that you can apply to to your teaching? Boom. Yeah. So I think that's a, like a great question and just a great point in general because. Um, that's something that luckily like the Twitter, Instagram coaches and everyone out there is starting to kind of come around to is just like different systems require different like components, you know? So it's like yeah. a smaller dude needs to move differently and probably like somewhat more efficiently to produce like high velocity than like a big lug who can just kind of fall down the mound and he just has the lever advantage, you know? Um, so, I mean, yeah, in some cases, mass does equal gas, but like in my case, let's say, uh, my junior year of college, I was like 210, maybe throwing, you know, 88 to 91, touch 92. 
Then my senior year, I came back, I was like 230. So I was like, I, I subscribed to that exact theory. I was just like, all right, I'm going to get huge and I'm going to throw gas. And I got hurt uh, and I threw 87. So I was like, oh, okay. And then so after that, I lost like a ton of weight after I graduated. It got back to like, you know, 190, 200 and then fixed some stuff and then threw hard. So I was like, okay. So like everyone kind of has an ideal weight and it kind of depends on where you are. And then uh, to answer the second part of the question, that was kind of the origin of my original tweet way back then. Because, you know, I just get, um, I don't know, I just, sometimes uh, when you're in this space and you just like hear a lot of things all the time, you just get like frustrated with just like, oh, this is how mechanics work. And it's like, okay, how do you know that? Like, how do you know that? Oh, you don't. Okay, cool. Uh, well, here's this guy who's 5'10", 180 pounds, throwing 97, like this. Like, please explain how that works in your mechanical model. You know, that was like, so that tweet was kind of like spicy. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny that people like found it again. But yeah, it's, it's just exactly that, right? It's like, it opens up your mind to like, oh, this guy can do it like this. Shit. Maybe, oh, sorry. But maybe I should like reevaluate the ways. Feel free. Be yourself, okay, man. So, you you right, don't have right, to right. censor yourself. You can cuss on here. So go. All right. All right. All right. Um, but yeah, like maybe it, I, just, I just hoped or I hope in general that just like people do continue to like look at things different ways. Because like there are so many smart people out there, so many more people that I know that I could like learn stuff from. But like if, if they stay closed minded and they don't like dig deeper into these things and they take try to take too many things at face value, it's just like we're all going to lose out on the things that they can provide, you know? Um, so, yeah, you know, you sound so open minded. You're the director of minor league pitching here. But yet there's this belief that the Dodgers do everything by the book, that everything is scripted, that, you know, they, they go in here, whatever the analytics are saying. I, and I know you guys use information, but I don't think this is anything new to baseball. I think ba this has been going on forever. I think what's really interesting is maybe the information may have become more complex and the key is relating that information yes. to the players. So how did that evolve for you, Rob? Like where you see pitchers are going, Hey man, you're, you're telling me too much. Now I'm overthinking yeah. it. Like Classic. how do you balance that? Oh man. Yeah. That's, that's a tough one. Luckily. And I, I think this is something that I've, I've definitely talked about before, but like, driveline for me that was where like i got my my feet wet you know i cut my teeth in coaching i probably got so like that was the first time i was ever exposed to high level biomechanics information like ball pit like the uh, ball flight data those sorts of things um so i had to like figure it out pretty quick how to communicate that stuff because i was going to see these athletes for the next day the next day the next day the next day right um I'll probably have you know a thousand to two thousand athlete meetings done you know so to, to a certain extent and that's like fumbling through the first like few hundred kind of getting it for the middle few and then like starting to nail it as we get along. So a lot of it just literally comes from like early exposure to the like vernacular and to the information. Um, and then just like getting to know the guy, like that's like the biggest thing that I always tell people when they're like, how do I become a coach? Blah, 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 blah. I'm just like, get to know your guys. Like, not just like, you know, how hard do they throw or like, Oh, they have a sister, but just like talk to them. Like, Hey, how do you, I, I ask players this and they look at me weird. Uh, I mean, a lot of our coaches ask them, but I'm just like, hey, how do you like want me to talk to you? Or, like, how do you want me to coach you? Like, do you want me to yell at you? Do you want me to like be nice to you? Like, do you want me to give you super complex info or do you want me to give you like really, really dumb down stuff? You know, so it's like, um, I mean, it's just like a very player centric approach is what allows it to kind of evolve. You know what I mean? Like, that's, I would say, the best way to get the complex information because like I want the most complex info to then be able to disperse it in whatever way necessary, if that makes sense.
No, absolutely. And now you've mentioned driveline a couple of times already. Now you're a coordinator there at, at driveline, right? Yeah. So let me ask you that. I, I always hear all these stories of people, of players that have gone to try driveline and then the next year they're different. They're they've improved. Has there been ever, I'm sure there's a lot of stories that we hear of people that go to driveline and it doesn't work for them. Like, oh, yeah. How would you explain what is driveline? Is it just theory as opposed to practice? Because again, what strikes me is just how open-minded you are. And it seems to contradict because these players are creatures of habit, right? They're so used to, I've been doing the same thing since I was in little league. And now you're telling me to do something different. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a tough battle. I'll answer the first part of the question. Like uh, a driveline, by itself is just a data-driven baseball training facility, right? So it's just like using information to train athletes um, based on their own individual biomechanics, plus the uh, like data collected over like the thousands of captures on the biomechanics lab that they've had there. So it's kind of like, here's where you are relative to all these other athletes that are better than you. And then like, here are the ways that we've seen people get there. So it's very, it's very cut and dry. Um, I think a lot of the time, you know, like, it just uh, people don't like necessarily understand, but it's it's literally that. Like there's uh, there's podcasts with Bodie talking about like yeah in 2009 I got really mad because I realized that everyone trying to like train baseball players was just lying or making stuff up. Uh, so I was like, well, we're just gonna find a way to like get real information and actually do this like the right way. So that's kind of how it all started, and then, and that was obviously super attractive to me, um, just being someone who like had had very similar experiences to like what he was describing. I'm just like people, coaches telling me like, all right, hey, just do this and like throw strikes. I'm just like, that doesn't make any sense. I need, I need like things to do. Like, how do I actually get better? That's really the question that like driveline is attempting to answer. I would say is like, how do you actually get better? Like what are the key components of improvement uh, in terms of like baseball throwing or hitting now? Um, and like, how do we do those things? Yeah. Um, so to do the second part of your wait, remind me, what was the second part of your um getting these people to just be open-minded to try that what what your guys preach over there is going to help them it's going to work yeah Yeah, i mean sometimes um i think i think that it's that though i think i honestly think that it's that that kind of comment i just made it's it's like the humility um to go to a player with information and be like hey i really think this is going to help you it might not but if it doesn't i'm not going to just be like oh hey that's on him it's his fault and uh i'm at no it's like if it doesn't go well, we're just going to try something else. That's, that's, that's what it is. So like, it's, it's getting them to understand that like we are walking in this with them and it's not like a front, you know what I mean? It's like, I am truly nervous when I, when guys go out to throw as if I'm going out there, you know, or, and I know all the coaches feel the exact same way because they're just that invested in the guys, you know? And it's like, um, that's really what I think it comes from. It's skin in the game. You know, it's like actually like putting it out there and being like, Hey, if this doesn't work, you know, I've had, I've had a player come off the mound and, you know, give me the finger and, you know, it is what it is. Like, right. Then the next day we hug and we dap up and we, hey man, like, let's try something else. And they're like, all right, sounds good. Um, so it's just like, it's, it's part of it. You know, um, I think that like failure tolerance is something that we really try to like preach around here, you know? So do they get made, mad at you because it's like, you're, you're trying to break me. I, I mean, is, is, is it no, no, it's frustration yeah, yeah, it's trying frustration. something new and it's like, yeah. why am I not good at it already? And it's like, right, you're right, just right. doing it, man. Right. Exactly. And, and, and that's like a classic thing um, that a lot of athletes, you know, experience, if it doesn't work the first time, then it's bullshit and it doesn't exist. Right. And it's like, okay, <laughs> like learning as a coach, I think to let go of those sorts of things and just be like, okay, 
It's not personal. You know what I mean? It's not personal. They don't hate you. They don't think you suck. You just had an idea that didn't happen to work. Oh no. Like the sky is not falling. You're like, tomorrow's another day. There's more, more guys to help try to improve, you know? So, yeah. One of the things I love hearing uh, about you is, again, is how you stress that everyone is different. There's a couple of former Dodgers that or current Dodgers that went to driveline after already having success and established themselves in a career that I think are pretty different. Alex Wood does not have a traditional windup. Kershaw does not have a traditional windup. And then you saw Kinley Jansen after already having success in major league, he starts adding this little hitch. I don't know what you call it to, to, to his windup. So when when you have that, like when you have somebody who maybe is already established, but they're not a traditional pitcher, is yeah. it just easier for you that way to be like, let's try this because, hey, what you're doing already, nobody else is doing. Yeah, I mean, no, that's a good point. I think, uh, yeah, leveraging a guy's individuality, especially in those more extreme cases, is super important. Um, I remember like talking to Woody a few years ago, just like, hey, we're going to we're going to improve the aspects of like throwing that you and every other thrower do while keeping you who you are. You know, it's like, we're going to get to those same similar positions at those similar times and do those things via your way. If that makes sense. It's like, we're still going to look at these things and analyze them uh, through a specific lens, but like that lens is fit to how you're going to get there and how it's going to look different than somebody else. And that's okay. You know? So I think that's like a thing that not a lot of athletes here that I wish they heard more is like, you are good already. Like you are okay with who you are. Like, we just need to tweak a couple little things here. Like, it's it's not a huge deal. Like, we want to retain their, like, innocence, so to speak, like, of who they are and, like, their, the authentic, like, pitcher underneath them uh, while just augmenting little things here and there. Because ultimately, it's, like, there's very few circumstances in which, like, actually overhauling something is, A, even possible, or, B, like, the actual right decision. So it's, like, everything is tiny little things, uh, and it's, it's the one plus one equals five a lot of the time, you know, where it's, like, guys, some guys get better by throwing every day. Uh, eating and sleeping. Some guys get better by doing insanely specific drill work every day for two years. And then they get, it's so it's just like, you just have to kind of figure out which wave every guy's on and and help them ride it. You know, it sounds like I am hearing you talk more about the psychological aspect of pitching and, and it's importance is just, I, I, I guess the same as physicality, if not more so, because I'm sure yeah. you do get people, pitchers that come there that are defeated because it's like, it used to work for me. It's not working anymore. Yeah. Is this over? Is that it? Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say too much of that, luckily, but like, yeah, I mean, sometimes, sometimes guys are, you know, sometimes guys are freaking out and like, that's where getting to know them is so important in my opinion, because everyone has, everyone has a life outside of baseball. You know what I mean? Like there's guys who I don't necessarily know their home situation. They might not have a great home situation. Like their mom's working three jobs and, you know, their sister's in school, you know, whatever it may be. There's, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Um, So like a guy could have a bad outing. And if you're just there yelling at him about how he can't throw strikes, it's like, what if he's got a bunch of other like shit on his mind, man? You know, like there's a lot more to it, I think. And that, and that's, yeah, like the psychological aspect is huge. Like, um, it's it's an absolute blessing when the only things like we need to help a guy with is pitching. Is it ever really that? Usually not, but like that's why we do it. You know, it's fun. It's enjoyable. 
we got spring training right around the corner, Rob. And to me, it seems that the position of strength in the whole organization is pitching. Uh, we saw it last year when you saw guys coming from double A and pitching right in the major leagues. And I, I look, I never played the game, but I can't stress enough to the casual fan. Do you know how hard it is? This guy skipped a whole level and now he's out there. And I'm talking primarily about Emmett Sheehan. I of mean, course, Bobby yeah. Miller didn't really spend that much time in AAA and he was yeah. there in, in, in the major leagues. Like, are, are those guys just exceptions to the rule or do you guys got people in that organization that are just mentally tough and no matter what situation you guys throw them in, they're ready. Oh yeah. No, I, I think, I mean, it's probably both, you know, it's a combination of the two. Like there are some absolute dogs in this organization that I'm really excited for, you know, the Dodgers community and, and, and fans and everyone to just get to know uh, over the next few years. Like I cannot wait. There are some great dudes. Um, but yeah. And I, I think a lot of it, like that just goes, I mean, all literally all credit goes to Emmett on that. Man. Like Emmett, Bob, those guys are killers. You know, from the first day, like I met them both. I was just like, all right, cool. This guy's different. All right. Got it. You know, not like a, Oh, this guy's different. Just kind of like, all right. Like I watched Emmett's first bullpen. Uh, like all the guys from the 2021 draft are like throwing Emmett kind of was kind of by himself. Like it was just like a weird timing uh, thing. Uh, we're all kind of like watching, you know, first bullpen, we're not going to be like standing right next to him. Like, what, what are you doing? You know? Um, so like he throws and all the coordinators and coaches that were there, <laughs> we like circle up. We're like, okay, did you guys see that? That was good. Uh, okay. Wow. Uh, all right. Um, so like, yeah, I mean, Emmett is, is really good. I can't, uh, yeah, I mean, you said it, right? Like going from double A to the big leagues, crazy, crazy. Like the fact that he was able to go up there and like have a pretty decent amount of success and like he gets some more runway and like do his, his thing was, was amazing. Man. Like I was so nervous the most of all time, everyone was, but it was the coolest thing ever. So it was like, it couldn't have gone any better, honestly. Rob, is it the coach's job to keep these players in check? And what I mean by that is when Kyle Hart makes his major league debut and he has an amazing inning where he's like striking out Hall of Famers, how can you not feel yourself, right? Like, right. is it your job as a coach to be like, hey, buddy, that was one inning, you know? <laughs> I think it's You're not that good. You're not that bad. Yeah. You that's a good call. No, that's a good call. Like, yeah, I, I think uh, I don't really think that's I don't see that as my job necessarily. Um, usually the players are on each other. man. They are all over each other's asses. So it's just like uh, I would say the players police it a lot more than we have to. <laughs> you, know? you know, there's the, there's the occasional, you know, random, random guy just tooting his own horn. I'll be like, hey, what about that homer you gave up like the next <laughs> inning? Yeah. And they're just like, ah, good point, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, I would say it's a very self-policing environment. And most of our guys, honestly, are just great dudes. Like, it's kind of hilarious. Like, our scouting department does such an unbelievable job at, like, backgrounding these guys and just, like, getting to know who they are prior to us, like, selecting them. So it's like, we don't really have a lot of issues with, like, that sort of thing, which is amazing, honestly. How involved are you in the draft process? Um, I help out a decent amount. Yeah, I help out a decent amount. Um, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll write guys up and, 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 you know, offer my opinion on things. So if you see somebody that physically is just really gifted, but like you just said, they're good guys, but maybe this guy, he's going to be a problem or he's uncoachable or he, he's not open. Is that enough for you guys to stay away from? 
Uh, I mean, I think it has to be like a combination of things, you know, like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know if it's ever the only reason. Um, but a lot of the time, you know, it, it's definitely something that gets talked about. It's definitely something that gets talked about for sure. And, and like, I mean, I know for a fact that it would not be as fun <laughs> to have certain guys, uh, there, uh, if they were just like not good dudes, you know, like, cause we spend so much time together. Like we spend, especially the, like the draft classes, like, uh, we do like a mini camp, you know, I think every team kind of does like a mini camp where all the guys who just got drafted will like come to the complex, wherever that may be. And, you know, spend a couple weeks, maybe a month, maybe longer. Uh, just kind of like getting into the pro season, maybe they'll go out to an affiliate or throw in Arizona or whatever. So it's like, I mean, from, you know, the end of July now, I think is what it is. Like end of July till October, I'm with these guys every day, the new draft guys. So it's like, it would suck if one of them was just like a turd. <laughs> like that would be terrible to deal with, you know? Um, but our, our guys are off. Our guys are off. It makes going to the field every day, like very enjoyable. Uh, so last year, of course, we, we saw these new names We've we've been hearing them before. Emmett Sheehan, I have to say, I, I that one came as a surprise. But <laughs> a name I keep hearing is Landon Neck. Um, yeah. Is there any possibility that maybe Landon Neck is going to be the next guy, or um, like, or is there someone else that that we should be aware of that we're just not hearing these names? I mean, I I, uh, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I don't know who you guys are hearing, I guess, is like my question. Like, Knack, yeah, he's a dude. Like, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking we'll see him this year. Like, he's he is probably one of the best pitch makers we have in our organization. And when his, like, stuff is right and he's feeling good, like, it's it's pretty pretty legit. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about Knack. He's having a great offseason right now, too, um, just like the way that his work's been going. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped for him. I, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I don't, I don't know the future of a crystal ball or anything, but I can see Knack definitely, like, helping us for sure. So, um, I, I, I mean, I, those are the really the names, the new names. I, I haven't heard any other names, but it seemed like there was a lot of pitching talent in double A. Like yeah. when you I mean, I know your job, you're, you're dealing with everybody there. But as the season progresses, do you shift specifically to one level like I, this? I'm going to focus on the single A guys. I'm going to focus on the double A guys or now I'm going to the triple A guys. Yeah. So I, I would say it kind of depends um, on like what's going on. Right. So like I mm -hmm. spent a ton of time in AAA this year, obviously, because, you know, we had up down, Hey, this guy's got to do this. This guy's got to do that. Okay, cool. He's going back to the big leagues, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, there's a scenario where like sh I showed up into town to work with a guy. He got called up like two hours later. So he had to like leave. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm here. Who else? Like, let's go. <laughs> uh, it's funny. It's, it's just part of it. Um, but yeah, I, I would say like, it, it very much depends, you know, like it very much depends. Like, uh, for example, 2021, I was spending a ton of time in Rancho uh, and a ton of time in Tulsa because we had, you know, Andre Jackson was in Tulsa. We had some other guys there. Um, and then in Rancho, well, who was this? Oh, geez. Oh yeah. We had like Jimmy Lewis and just like some uh, Braden Fisher, um, Jacob Candleberry, Cameron Gibbons, like a bunch of like, you know, younger arms there. Uh, and then the draft happened where we took like 23 guys or whatever. And then I was just in Arizona for the rest of the year. <laughs> so, you know, that was Maddox, uh, Maddox Brun, Peter Hubeck, all those guys. So that was kind of that year. So it kind of just depends uh, on the year and like what's going on. But um, yeah, that's what, that's part of the reason why it's fun. Cause it's like, I don't know where I'm going uh, in a few months, <laughs> but uh, I'll find out soon. You know, uh, one of the things we had Jared Karos uh, on on the show, and we were, we got to know him a little bit. I went down to Rancho when um, when Julio Diaz was doing a rehab assignment, and he was just throwing a bullpen, and 
all every all of the everybody in the quakes was just watching Julio throw a bullpen. And I had asked Jared afterwards, I was like, why did you like he's just throwing a bullpen? And Jared had said to me, he's like, because I'm gonna learn how to be a major leaguer by by watching that guy. Now, is that something you guys teach, or is that just something Jared on his own with his own curiosity? It's like I want to be better. So I'm going to steal from people who are already up in that level. I mean, that's the whole point, right? No. Uh, yeah. I think like, I think that's kind of, I don't know if we've ever necessarily like explicitly said that, but I think uh -huh. it's just something that's kind of understood like in the community. You know what I mean? Like uh, you go over to the big league side during camp, Kershaw could be throwing a bullpen, you know, an hour after everybody else. Cause he had, you know, some going on uh, and almost all the pitchers will come out of the weight room or whatever they're doing and just come watch. You know, it's, it's, it's just something that, I think people do, especially like with major leaguers, like major league rehab guys who are in Arizona, like yeah. everyone's just there watching, you know, because it's like success leaves clues. You know what I mean? Like those clues aren't always obvious. Those clues aren't always just like, oh, look, he threw strikes. It's like sometimes it's, oh, maybe he has some pre-pitch routine. And then you're like, oh, that's interesting. He does that every time. Like, do I have something like that? Oh, no, I don't. Like, oh, okay, that's okay. Oh, that's how he, you know, does this with his cutter. You know, that's how he does this with his slider. Like I have a similar uh, maybe I'm there talking to some of the guys like it's something I really enjoy doing is I will I will call guys over to watch someone throw a pen who's like a big leaguer like uh, in, in the minor leagues or like in the offseason sometimes be like hey I want you to come watch this because like this guy's like attack and approach is like similar to yours or like something that we might want to like you know start going with so yeah I would say it's just uh, you use that word curiosity to describe Jared and I would say that yeah. that that definitely describes him 100% and also is something that we like really prioritize with you know, coaches, uh, staff, and all players. Like we, we want people to be curious. We want people to be yearning for information um, because that's just what we're, we're trying to do. You know, that's what we're all about. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I, I find kind of interesting in this aspect with this team, and I wonder if you have to deal with any of this stuff, is have you oh, had a, a player who's just really, really good, but, He's blocked. There's like, there's no room for him on, on, on the big team. And it's just like, are those guys just better off maybe somewhere else? So they just get an opportunity to play. Like how much are we helping him if we're holding him back when he's clearly ready? Do you have any of those conversations with players? Um, I don't usually, I would say mm -hmm. that's probably, you know, above me. Um, but I, I mean, I'm sure that guys have felt that way in the past. I, I, it's crazy, but like, uh, that's kind of the whole, the whole goal, I guess, is like democratizing training and democratizing information to just like see who rises, you know, like nobody is getting special treatment. Nobody is getting, you know, anything different than anybody else. So it's just like, we're just trying to send it with everybody and, and get the most out of them all. Um, luckily, like by the grace of God, thank you. Uh, we hit on some guys like improving quite a bit. Um, I honestly, I don't really think about like the, the blocking thing too much. I, I personally don't. Um, but yeah. All right. I want to be respectful of your time, Rob. You've been great. So I, we're going to end the show the way we always end the show. Uh, on this show, we're all about the Dodgers. We're, we're about Los Angeles, uh, but we're also about the culture. So we have a series of rapid fire questions. And right. uh, uh, if you have a longer answer and you want to give it, by all means, go ahead. But uh, at this point, uh, what I want to start off with first is uh, we're big fans of the male soap opera on this on this program, which we'd like to refer to as professional wrestling. So we want to know, have you ever at any point in your life been a fan of professional wrestling? Ooh, um, no. 
why why is it so frowned upon i don't know i don't even know whatever i mean hey okay i can't uh, i won't say i'm a professional wrestling fan but I am a big Broadway guy. I, I'll admit. I'll admit. Uh, right okay. Here. All right. I'll admit. You know, yeah. we never we learned this about James Outman earlier in the year that he's a big pirate of Penzance fan. Uh like Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Audi is a big fan. Big fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh any favorite Broadway shows? Oof. Man, I love uh Les Mis. Great one. Great show. Um, I'm a big fan of the hairspray. Uh okay. what else do I love? Oh, Phantom of the Opera. That's gotta be my favorite. Yeah, did you have a theater background or did you just imagine? I do yeah 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 I had a theater background um I literally I mean I, I think I've told the story on a, on a pod before but me and my dad sat down at the dinner table um when I was 13 and I had to mm. choose between going to like this one high school to play baseball and another high school to do like theater and like acting and singing and stuff and I chose baseball and here I am playing in the big league ah geez no I'm not <laughs> so if you look back at it do you think you were a better actor than oh, you were at close. oh way no. better way better at no no at acting yeah way better way better i should not have played baseball well i mean okay it worked out but like <laughs> uh like i was i like yeah i mean it's it, it was something that definitely came like significantly more naturally to me like it's just something that is kind of you know born i guess or i, I don't know like and and i started to work out and stuff my dad also was in radio for 30 years like used to do the music for the padres back in the 80s so it's like it's kind of a, it's kind of in our blood, I guess, you know, entertainment and things like that. So. Got it. Um, yeah. What, you, what is a, a longer year, a, a week in Rancho Cucamonga or a week in Oklahoma city? Depends on the temperature. Um, <laughs> if, it's, if, if we're talking, if we're talking April, I'll go to either. Uh, if we're talking, you know, mid August, I am not going to OKC probably. Um but like I am, you know, I'm gonna, but like, I'm not going to be as happy about it. But also like, I think Visalia, the Visalia dugout is the hottest place ever <laughs> conceived by man. No, like, I'm not kidding. I think it was 170 degrees in that dugout in 20, like two years. Like it was like the most ridiculous thing ever. So it's a hard question, man. That's a hard question. Cause we're only going weather here. No other context. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to go. Okay. See, cause of the humidity. Just because really? of the humidity, yeah. It, when it's when it's super hot, yeah. That's the only, yeah. yeah. Do you ever make? Uh, do you ever make trips to, to Michigan to, with oh, yeah. the loons? Because oh, Dalton, yeah. oh, yeah. we had Dalton rushing on the show, and he was just telling us the condition on some of those fields. He was like, "It was rough, man. I mean, Dude. it's like playing on concrete." He said, "Yeah, there's some crazy surfaces there. Like that's the only place where I've noticed really crazy surfaces." Um, like I remember when I was at Fort Wayne, great field, great stadium, awesome place in general. I had never been to Fort Wayne. I kind of liked it in general. Um, but there was just like a huge slant going into like left field. And I was like, you guys seeing this? They're like, oh yeah, that's actually like not that bad compared to other places. I was like, all right, that's interesting. Um, okay. <laughs> All right, last one, Rob. Uh, right. We're big in the taco culture here. So we want to know, especially since you're always traveling, what is your favorite taco and where do you go to get that taco? Oh, my favorite taco. Okay. I got two. I got two. Okay. Okay. Um, my first one is the one that I grew up eating as a kid in Park City, Utah. That's where I grew up. There's a place called Loco Lizard um, that was run by one of my friend's uh, families. Uh, and they had the Taco Chico. 
which was just literally a like crunchy taco with beef barbacoa in it and cheese. That was it. Wow, you're a barbacoa man. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah. hundred percent. Um, I'm a barbacoa guy. And then the second one is also barbacoa, uh, but it's actually from I can't even remember what the place is called. It's a place in Scottsdale. It's actually here. It's uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's another barbacoa. It's 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 nothing. It's nothing too exciting. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a I should have known that you were a renaissance man when you said you were from Park City. I mean, I know you, as somebody who has Sundance in their background. I, I mean, yeah. ha, have you been to Sundance? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I used to. I have a. I don't. I don't know on my computer here. On my computer at my parents' house, um, I have like thirty hours of footage of me as like a twelve-year-old. Like I filmed like a document. There was this dude who was friends with my dad, who was like a celebrity stalker. Not like in a weird way, but like kind of a weird way. He yeah. wouldn't like go to their house, but like he would know where they were going to be and he would go there to take a picture with him, you know? Uh-huh. So I actually filmed him one Sundance, uh, like meeting people. And it was just uh, like, we were just going around. Like I got, you know, Paris Hilton, uh, Bruce Willis, uh, like Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader, like all these uh, J-Lo, like, and it's just me, like some little kid holding the camera, like filming this dude, taking a picture with him and stuff. It was, it was crazy. So yeah, no, uh, all the time. Yeah. So let me get this straight. Not only at 24 were you named the director of minor league pitching, but now you're also a filmmaker. I, I mean, uh, a veteran of the stage. I mean, Rob, <laughs> is there nothing? And on top of it, you come in with the barbacoa as your choice of taco. Look, we've been doing this show now. We're going into our fourth season. There's not that many people that throw barbacoa. And so really? when people throw barbacoa, I feel like they're flaunting their knowledge of proteins at me because I'm just like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> this guy knows tacos because he's having barbacoa. It's just the best one. It's just like, oh, am I going to eat ground beef? Am I going to eat pulled chicken <laughs> or this like insane sautéed shredded beef? Like what? Or not sautéed. Uh, what's it called? Marinated beef. Like it's an obvious choice in my opinion. I, I love it. It's great. Uh, Rob, I want to thank you for your time. I'm sorry we went over, but yeah, no, I really good. enjoyed the knowledge uh, you're dropping here. And I think you gave us, I know some of us are a little relieved uh, about hearing about Yamamoto when, when the Dodgers are handing out a 12 year contract, you know, it's okay. like, is he going to stay healthy? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, anything can happen, but I'm pretty excited about him, man. I'm pretty excited. He's been one of my favorite pitchers for literally years. So I'm stoked. So where can our viewers, our listeners follow you to get the knowledge that you drop on on, on X and, and any of the other social media? I don't, think what my, I don't even remember what my X handle is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, follow me. Uh, I think it's a, yeah, Verticus Hill, B-E-R-T-I-C-U-S Hill uh, on, on Twitter or X or whatever Elon's calling it these days. Uh, and then I have an Instagram, uh, Robopotamus. Uh, I'm not going to spell it. You can find it if you want to. I don't really care that much. <laughs> but yeah, there you go. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Rob. We really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks a ton, Juan. Appreciate it, man. And big thank you once again to Rob Hill, the director of minor league pitching for the Doyers, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, Last reminder, once again, folks, we have been nominated for Best Baseball Podcast in America. Um, Make sure you vote for us. I don't believe there's much time left to vote for us. I think they're actually going to be wrapping up voting uh, fairly soon. So if you haven't voted for us yet, please make sure you follow us on the social media. We have the link posted there in our bios so you can vote for us. This episode of the Bleed Loves podcast has been brought to you by betonline.ag, where the game starts. Nos vemos.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.